Welcome to the Flying Baton, the magical land of beginning band. Coming to you from the beautiful Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, your host, Charlie Nesmith. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show. We're excited to have longtime band director and composer Gary Fagan with us today. Just a reminder that all of the pieces of music that we talk about in the show can be found on the show notes at theflyingbaton.com or in your podcast app of choice. We also have a set of band warm-ups available called Warm-Ups with a Beat. These comprehensive band warm-ups include YouTube tracks that feature fun drum beats with each fundamental exercise. These are designed to make practice at home more fun and engaging, which is especially important right now. Check it out at theflyingbaton.com. This week's pick is Clarinets Packing Up Early by Gary Fagan. I thought it would be appropriate to feature a piece by Gary since he's on the show today. This is a super fun novelty piece that has a catchy melody that bounces back and forth between the clarinets and the rest of the band. But as the piece goes on, the clarinets gradually take apart pieces of their instrument and put it back into their case until finally there's nothing left. This piece is better watched than heard, so I'll leave a link in the show notes to a video performance as well. As we play the track, you'll start to hear the melody change about the time the clarinets get their instrument halfway apart because all of their C's will suddenly turn into C sharps. Then you'll hear the mouthpiece, then nothing at all. Finally, a case slam finishes out the piece. It's a really fun crowd pleaser. There are two clarinet, sax, trumpet, and trombone parts. 
The trumpet one goes up to F in the staff a couple times, but outside of that, the ranges are all very doable for a second or third year group. To buy this piece or listen to it in its entirety, check out the show notes or visit theflyingbaton.com. Gary Fagan is a longtime middle school band director and composer. After getting degrees at Bridgewater College and James Madison University, he started teaching band in 1975 at Henley Middle School in Crozet, Virginia, where he stayed for 34 years. Since retiring in 2009, he continues to compose today as well as play in the Charlottesville Municipal Band as a percussionist. He's also an assistant conductor for that band. Mr. Fagan has over 50 compositions for band published through various publishers, and he recently co-founded his own publishing company, James River Music. Notably, Gary composes all of the sight-reading music for Virginia Concert Band Assessment. How's that? Hey, now I have you. How's it going, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Okay, so it says in your bio that you taught for 36 years, and was all of that at the same school? It was not. I graduated from Bridgewater College, and I ta- actually taught choral music in Louisa County for two years. And I was a lousy choral teacher, uh, a lousy teacher, period, and figured maybe teaching wasn't for me after the first two years. But then I was over at uh, JMU one day and and met up with uh, J- Jim Simmons at a band camp over there. And he was the coordinator of fine arts in Albemarle County. And they just that morning, one of the band directors in Albemarle County called him and said he was leaving. So we were sitting there chatting and he said, well... I, I just got a job opening this morning. Would you like to talk about it? And we did. And so I came to Albemarle County then after the first two years, and I taught elementary school. I was a roving band director. They still had band in, in some of the elementary schools. So I roved from one school to the other and taught band uh, at the elementary level for two years. And so then after four years, two in the county and two in Louisa, I finally ended up at Henley Middle School where I was for the next 34 Wow, that's awesome. When you reflect now on your teaching career, just what do you have any like general feelings about the career as a whole in the classroom? It's the greatest job in the world, making music with young people. I mean, it has its moments, but every job has its moments. And there have been principals that I enjoyed working with and principals that drove me crazy. And But it's the greatest job in the world because I was making music with young people and they were so eager and they wanted to play so much that it just it was great it was great great job yeah so one of the things i wanted to ask you about is so my my generation i guess and those younger than me primarily know you as a composer for band but you spent so many years in the classroom why did you stay in the classroom and not pivot towards being a full-time composer like so many people do yeah i always saw myself as a teacher first and a composer second and as a matter of fact i didn't even start writing the first piece i had published I was 40 years old when that was published. So I started really, really late getting into composition. So I had already taught for 20-some years before I even wrote the first piece. And so I always viewed myself as a teacher first, and a composer was a hobby. So did something happen that made you want to pivot to composing, or were you always kind of writing a few things on the side before that? Well, I did when I was at Bridgewater for my senior project, I wrote a piece for percussion sextet, 
and took the, we had a thing where you just did one class for it's called it's it was called interterm and you just did one thing for for three weeks and so I composed this piece for percussion sextet in three weeks and and then we performed it in a recital and then I didn't do any writing at all for quite a long time and then a lady in Charlottesville named Adele Abrams wrote a piece that she was hoping was going to become the Virginia state song carry me back to old Virginia was losing support as the state song for various reasons and so they put out a, a, a notice that they were looking for people to submit new songs that could be considered for the state song. As it ended up, they did not change the state song. It still carried me back to Old Virginia. But in the process of her submitting this song that she wrote to be the state new state song, my wife, who was teaching choral music at the time, wanted to do the piece. And so she said, well, would you consider writing a band arrangement so that we can have choir and band together perform this piece. So I sat down and I wrote this little band arrangement of uh, this piece called The Old Dominion. But at any rate, it got me sitting down with pencil and paper. I wasn't using finale at that point. It got me to sitting down with pencil and paper and putting notes on the page. And I thought, you know, I, I, I can do this. And, and another impetus that I had was in, in a county here, in Albemarle County, we started commissioning pieces to be written for our middle school honors band every year, which is still occurring 35 years later. And so as we would hire these composers to commission these pieces, and they would come to our county to direct their premiere and direct the honor band, I got to know a lot of these composers, and I, I, I kind of always saw composers, you know, up here on this pedestal, and, and I, I wasn't... I wasn't even in their realm of realization and actually working with them and meeting them and realizing that they were real people too. I, I thought this, this is something I'd like to try. And, and that's just kind of phased into it gradually. Did you ever take any classes in composition or was most of that experience from your time in the classroom? It was from the time in the classroom. The school of hard knocks is where <laughs> I learned to write a lot of score study. You know, when you sit down and you study 30, 40, 50 scores a year just by osmosis, what to put on paper and what not to put on paper kind of becomes more and more evident. So never at Bridgewater, we did not have any composition or arranging courses. So it was all learned at the School of Hard Knocks. How often would you have your own students play some of your compositions? Once I got to writing and once I had my first piece published in 1990, then I started writing for my bands, because I wanted them to be able to perform the pieces that I wrote. So I was basically writing for them. So almost every year, starting with about 1990, uh, we would do one or two of, of my tunes a year. Could you tell us a little bit about your creative process when starting a fresh piece? But, you know, it's not consistent. Sometimes I'll start with a, with a fragment of a melody or, or, or just a phrase in my head, and I am just find myself singing, mentally singing this phrase. So I'll run into the computer and sit down and, and put that phrase down. And then all the uh, development and the harmonization and all comes later. Other times, it actually starts with a rhythm. Being a percussionist, uh, rhythm is something I pay a lot of attention to. And so uh, a piece of the, one of the first pieces where that happened, I wrote a piece called New Millennium. And this rhythm uh, came to my head, bump, 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 bump. 
bum, bum, very repetitive rhythm. And that's where it started. And it turned into a, you know, a three and a half, four minute piece after that. It just took that little idea of that rhythm to, you know, kind of like Beethoven. I guess he started with bum, 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 bum. We're going to assume that's what he started with and ended up with an entire symphony after that. So it, it's not always, sometimes, sometimes it's some chords. Sometimes I'll hear three or four chords and sit down to piano, play the chords, put them into finale, and, and then the melody goes over top of that. So it can start with a melody fragment, it can start with a, with a chord a section fragment, or it can start with a rhythm, and it's always different. What's one thing that you find to be particularly challenging about composition for young band in particular? Well, the parameters, I, you know, as you probably know, I write the, the sight reading pieces for assessment for VBODA. And I'm given a set of parameters that I have to follow. For example, the grade 0.5 piece, every instrument has to be limited to an octave, trumpets C to C. It has to be in the key of B flat. It has to be in 4-4 time. And it has to have no accidentals. Uh, so there are range limits, rhythm limits, accidental limits, key limits. And the, and the more limits that, that you put on, on a piece as you create it, the more difficult it becomes. If you're writing grade five, you can write almost anything you want to. But at grade 0.5 or 1 or even grade 2, it, it's tough. I've kind of told students before, it's kind of like if you went to a language arts class and your teacher said, I want you to go home and write a story for me tonight. You're going to turn the story in tomorrow. But you can only use these seven words. And all of a sudden, writing that story becomes really difficult because you only have seven words to work with. So those, the younger grade, the lower grade levels become challenging because there's a time limit and, and the other limits that I, that I express. And so the more of those parameters you put in place, the trickier it is to go through the process because you put something down on paper and all of a sudden you realize that's not going to work. So you, you trash it and you start all over again until everything lines up, so to speak. How did you get into composing the music for the site reading for Voboda? The site reading for Voboda was, was done for many, many years by a company called RBC out of, out of Texas. And there was quite a bit of dissatisfaction with, with with those materials. Sometimes the grade three was actually easier than the grade two. And there were, there were some complaints about that. So at that point in time, I had had maybe, I don't know, six or seven, eight pieces published. And Diana Love, who was at Blacksburg High School, was on the site reading committee. And I guess she just said, why don't we have Gary do this? Because he's got some pieces published at different grade levels. And so she gave me a call and asked me if I would be interested in doing that. So I said, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a try at least for a year. And after the first year, everybody seemed to be fairly satisfied with the, with the level and the musicality of it. And so it just kind of continues. Now it's been 12 years. And some of those pieces you go on to, to sell. How many of them for a given year, uh, do you actively choose to have published? Actually, I think I, last year was year 11, which means that there are, there are five pieces a year that I write, the grade 0.5 through grade 4. 
So five pieces a year. So after 11 years, I had written 55 pieces for for Voboda. And at that point in time, 52 of them had been published. And, and one of them will be published this coming summer that I wrote for for the for Voboda last year. So most of them have been. And, you know, I, I, I send them to VDA first. They go to the site reading. And then I start sending them out to publishers. And of course, now co-owner of a, a small publishing company, I'm in a partnership with Jim Meredith, who taught in the Lynchburg area for 40 years and retired a while back. And Jim was writing for Carl Fisher Publications. And so Jim and I finally got together and said, you know, why don't we try starting our own company? So three years ago, we started James River Music. And so now I'm publishing a few of my own pieces along with Jim's. But prior to that time, after VBODA would use them, I would send them out to various publishers. And sometimes I get two or three rejections, but I was always persistent and sent it somewhere else. And as I said, 52 of the 55 at that time had been picked up. So if there is a band director who is getting into composition, I know there's so many options for self-publication nowadays. Do you still recommend trying to go through a publisher or self-publishing? That's a really good question. That's an excellent question. And my response is, when when you send a piece out to uh, a major publisher, Hal Leonard or Alfred or something like that, the, the beauty of that, the pros are, they do all of, the, all of the production work. All I have to do then is proofread the score and the parts and compare it with my original and make sure there aren't any wrong notes or missing crescendos or uh, anything like that. So they do all the production work. They do all of the advertising. And so basically, once you sign the piece over to them and you sign them the copyright, I don't have to do anything except wait for a royalty check. Unfortunately, the royalties on uh, with most of the major publishers is 10%. So if they sell $10,000 worth of music, well, that, that would be it. That's a little bit of an exaggeration. If they would sell $5,000 worth <laughs> of the music, I would only end up with 500 out of that. And, and I'm thinking, boy, that was an awful lot of work for $500. I spent three yeah. months writing that piece and I only got $500 out of it. So at that point in time, I, I, the self-publishing became more appealing. The problem is with self-publishing is it it's really difficult. There's so many people doing it now. It's really difficult to get your name out there and to get people to even look at your website and listen to the music. Certainly, when I was writing for Alfred pretty regular, regularly, they were sending out 35,000 CDs all over the world of, the, of my music. And so that's, that's certainly I could not afford on my own to send out, to mail out 35,000 CDs worldwide. And I'd have to second and third mortgage my house to, <laughs> to do that. So the beauty of going with a, a major publisher is, is they take most of the risk and you just wait for the royalty check to come as small as it is. But the problem with that is that self-publishing is, is really tough. It's a lot more work. You have to do all the production and all the advertising and all that yourself and it, it, it's a lot more work. But hopefully when you sell a piece, instead of getting 10%, you maybe get 60% because 40% of it is the cost of production, the paper and the printing 
and that type of thing. So there's a higher percentage, but it's harder to get there. Now, you and Jim also published a book together, correct? We did. Actually, we have two books now. The first book was just Jim and I, and that is preparing your school band for assessment. For We called it adjudication so that we would get Everybody calls it something different. We used to call it band festival in Virginia, and which always interested me because the word festival implies that you're having fun. <laughs> and for many band directors, festival was anything but fun. But so at any rate, preparing your school band for adjudication. We followed that up last year. We teamed up with Don Brubaker, who was the orchestra director at Buford Middle School in, in the city of Charlottesville. And we wrote Preparing Your School Orchestra for Adjudications. Now, when you were taking your bands to assessment, how did you approach selling that to your students? What was the perspective there? The, the approach that I took was when we prepare music for a concert, we're, we're certainly going to do the same thing that we do when we prepare for assessment, except at this point, the ears that are listening to you are much more critical. There are three adjudicators back there. And they're probably a little bit less forgiving than your parents are when they hear you play. And so my approach was, this is kind of our SOL. This is where we, we display to anybody that's there or to the adjudicators what our strengths and weaknesses are. And so my students enjoyed going to festival because they really got a chance to get into three or four pieces in much more depth than we ever got into when we prepared a piece for a concert. Because we're preparing a piece for a concert, we're doing five or six or seven tunes, and you never get to the level of musicianship or the level of detail that you you get to when you get into a piece of music and you're preparing it for assessment. Did you take your bands to other festivals, like uh, like theme park festivals and things like that? I, I did not, generally not. I did, only went to the assessment I took a, a concert band, I took my symphonic band, my, my highest group, and I also attended a jazz festival. I had a jazz ensemble, and so I took kids to jazz ensembles. I also took my jazz ensemble quite often over to JMU for the jazz uh, festival at JMU. But as far as going to theme parks, I did not do that. I, I never really had a big reason other than the fact that it scared me to death to take <laughs> 80 kids and release them all into a theme park not knowing where they were. It always just seemed like it was kind of an overwhelming task. <laughs> well, I, you know, I feel the same way when I, when I look at middle schools that do overnight trips. It's like, yeah. I'll, t- I'll take my kids to the, the King's Dominion band competition, but I have like a very regimented system of chaperones and groups, but I could not imagine taking middle schoolers on an overnight trip. I have no interest in that at this time. Okay. How would you rate your work-life balance when you were teaching and composing at the same time? That, that can be a real challenge, as all band directors, any band director that views this is, knows this from the day they started. It, it's time-intensive, and it is very difficult to strike that balance between, between work. And, and doing the composing part added made, made that even more complicated. In addition to that, I was playing in a rock band at, at the time, and so every Friday, every Friday and Saturday night, I was somewhere playing. So my weekends were, were pretty much shot too. That really gets tough. And I wish I had a really easy answer to that. I recommend to people that they do the best they can to balance that, that family time. But 
when you're a band director, there, there is no easy, you know, wave the magic wand and now you've got plenty of time. It's, it's not going to happen. My family was very supportive of me and very understanding, uh, but it's not an easy road to go down. Did you have kids at home during that time? I did. I had three girls. They're all teachers now. And, but at that time, yes, I had three girls. And I would go out on Friday and Saturday night and, and play and get home around 3, 3 a.m. And then at 7 a.m. sharp the next morning, they were over by the bed slapping me in the face. Time to get up. So, <laughs> yep. I have an 11-month-old now, and he gets up at 4.45 regardless of what day it is or what's going on, and he is he is ready to go. He's just yeah, calling my name and, like, just flailing his arms, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of just now learning that balance because I was always super married to the job, especially my early career. You know, it was not uncommon to work a 12-hour day easy. Yeah. And now it's like I, have really, I don't really don't want to do that. I don't want to be one of those like absentee band director dads. You know, I want my kid to know my face. No, and, and, and you keep that up for very long. It just, it just burns you out. You, you, you know, you can do it for a while, but after a while, it, it, you, you figure like you did, it, it, it's not worth it. How much did your kids accompany you to band events or did you keep that fairly separate between home and work? Uh, all, all of my girls were in band and they were also in choir my wife taught choir at, at Henley. When I taught, was teaching band, she taught in the room right next to me, and she taught choral music. So all of our girls were involved in band and, and in choir. My, my oldest daughter was a clarinet player, and the second daughter played French horn. Yeah. And <laughs> daughter number three was euphonium. They all three were in my jazz ensemble. So you know, I, I, saw those, I saw my own kids twice a day. I had, I had a symphonic band and a jazz ensemble that met daily. And so I, they were in both classes. So I worked with my own kids two periods a day, every day, which was great. So they were always at every band concert. They were always at every parade. If we did the Dogwood Parade in Charlottesville, they, they, were, they were there. Man, so that's crazy. So they had both their mom and their dad every day at school. Yeah. <laughs> did yeah. you find that to be like it, in, the, in the throes of teaching a class? Did you find that to be weird in any way? Or did other kids give them a hard time about that? I, they didn't actually. I don't think they, they received a lot of flack. It, it actually worked out better than my wife and I, either one of us thought it would. We thought it could cause issues, but but it, but it didn't. The only issue it ever caused was my oldest daughter, the clarinet player, one year didn't do as many playing tests as, as she should have done. And so she received a B in band. And I walked up to the office one day and the secretary called me over to her office and she said, you gave your daughter a B. And I said, yes, I did. And she said, you realize that's the only B she got on her report card. She would be on the all A honor roll if you hadn't. I want you to change that grade to an A. <laughs> and I said, I certainly will not. And it stayed to be, and she was a little upset with me about that. But that, that's the only issue that I recall we ever ran into. Well, I, th I think that shows a lot of integrity, though, showing that you weren't willing to compromise your standards as a teacher. Well, I, you know, I think that would have made me look bad in my daughter's eyes. I'm, she probably wasn't happy about the B, but I don't think she would have appreciated me changing the grade just for that reason. She's a math teacher now, so she can appreciate, you know, what you get is what you get. Yep. Absolutely. So now that you've retired from the classroom, do you feel like 
you actually have more free time on your hands or have you just filled up the time with other projects and fun things that you've wanted to do for a while? No, I do. I do feel like I have more time on my hands. Well, especially since the pandemic. I mean, we've been hunkered down here now for a year, practically, except to go to the grocery store. So certainly that has provided a lot of extra free time. But even before that, I was still doing honor bands once in a while and and, and judging at assessment. But it did provide a lot more free time. At least it provided more flexibility. I could pretty much make my own schedule at that point. And that's what I appreciated most about retirement. I wanted to stay busy, but wanted to stay busy at my own pace instead of having to jump every time a bell rang. Absolutely. Now, you've had one of your compositions performed at the White House, correct? I did. That that was actually the, I was telling you a while ago about that piece, The Old Dominion, that was the first piece I arranged that was written by Adele Abrams in Charlottesville. And the one of the military bands performed uh, at the White House at an, at an inauguration uh, ceremony. And they played that piece, I think it was 14 times, because it was kind of, it was actually part of the ceremony as people were going and coming. And and so that that piece was performed a lot that day. I'm sure the guys in that military were probably never wanted to hear my name again after playing that piece, <laughs> that arrangement, 14 times. But, but yeah, it wasn't that it was such a great piece. It's just that it was the occasion called for the Virginia State song or a, a, a Virginia folk song to be played. Mm-hmm. And that was the one that came up. Do you have a favorite piece that you have written? I, I do. I, I think probably my favorite uh, is a piece, you, you may be familiar with Shen Valley Band Instrument Repair in Harrisonburg. And many, many years ago, the owner of Shen Valley Band, Gary Doval, he and his family were involved in a very, very tragic car accident on their way to Virginia Beach. They were hit head on by a dump truck and Gary Doval died and his wife died and his his son's girlfriend perished in that wreck. And so following that very tragic accident, I, I wrote a piece called On Streets of Gold and actually wrote a poem. First, I wrote a poem and then I followed that up by writing the piece. And because I knew Gary so well, and I knew his dad. His dad was the previous owner of the shop. Because of that close connection, I think that piece has an emotional connection with me more than anything I've ever written. And, and so that, I think that's my favorite, is On Streets of Gold. And that was published in, by Alfred probably in about 2007 or six, something like that. Well, what is your most commercially successful piece? That's a really good question, too. I Actually, I do know that. The best, the piece that sold the most of anything that I've written was a grade three piece called Algorithms. And Algorithms is misspelled. It's, it's <laughs> A-L-G-O-R-H-Y-T-H-M-S instead of the regular spelling, the mathematical term. And that piece has probably sold about 1,300 copies worldwide. So that that is undoubted, undoubtedly the the one that sold the most. So if you were chatting with a young band director who is thinking about getting into composition, do you have any recommendations for them on how to go about that? I would probably recommend to start. I, I think the best way to learn how to write is to write for a specific ensemble. So if you're writing for a local community band, or if you're writing for your own band, and you know their strengths and weaknesses, 
it kind of helps you know what to put on paper. When you know you've got a very, very strong French horn section, you, you write in that vein and you write for that French horn section. And I think that kind of gives you an easier path to go down than just writing for, for a nebulous group that you don't know. So I think my most successful writing projects have been writing for specific groups. I play in the Charlottesville Municipal Band. And so writing for that ensemble and writing for my own kids and some commission works that I've done, I think that's a, that's a good way to start. And, and again, the way I learned to write was by doing a lot of score study of other people's music. So doing score study and seeing what works for them and writing for a specific group with a specific goal in mind makes the whole process start out a little easier, I think. Oh, I have a question I was supposed to ask earlier, and I totally forgot. What was your relationship like with your administration at your school? Most of the administrators that I I worked at, at just the middle school that I taught at, I just calculated yesterday, I worked with eight different principals in, in that 34 years. And I always had a fairly good relationship with them because some of them were in band. One of the principals I worked with was a French horn player. And, and so I had a, a good rapport with them because they were familiar with what I did. And the working, the working relationship was always very good. I was also very, very fortunate in that most principals that I worked with, the first thing they scheduled every year w- was band. They said, tell me who's going to be in concert band. Tell me who's going to be in symphonic band. Tell me who's going to be in jazz ensemble. And then I will design the master schedule around that. So and sometimes I felt real guilty about that because I felt like maybe some other teachers were a little bit resentful of that. I remember one year, kind of a funny story, one year back in the, in the 80s and early 90s, it was a big thing for your school to have a mission statement. You had to have a mission statement. And so the principal said, OK, let's let's throw out some ideas. What do you think our mission statement should be? And the guy who was teaching choral music there at that time raised his hand. He said, I, I, I've, I've got it already. He said, I think we need a school the band can be proud of. And, of course, everybody laughed. But there was a little bit of truth in that. And, and a lot of times I felt a little bit guilty about that. But administrators were very, very, I was very fortunate to have administrators that were willing to work with me in that, in that way. Yeah, absolutely. It can really make or break your school experience. It really can. I feel very fortunate that one of my assistant principals is Alan Kirkdorfer, who had the position at my school as band director for 17 years before I got there. So, I mean, I I realize that's a very fortunate position to be in. Not everyone has a musician administrator. Right. Um, Although, from from what I've been told, that can be a curse in some situations if if that person wants to micromanage the program. But but my, my assistant principal, Alan, he's been very great about letting us do our thing. And I know that the way that John and I do things are very different than the way that he did things, but he's 100% okay with that and gives us the freedom to do like run the program, how we see fit. Right. Yeah. I feel very, very fortunate in that regard because not everybody has that experience. Right. (laughs) That's exactly right. You're absolutely all Mark. Well, I do have three final questions that I ask everyone who comes on the show, but before we get to that, did you have anything else you wanted to throw out there or any new compositions or projects you would like to plug? I'm working right now on uh, the Charlottesville Municipal Band is getting ready to celebrate its 100th year of existence. It started in 1922. So in 2022, the the, uh, Municipal Band 
will be having their centennial celebration and some special concerts. And so I just wrote a short fanfare for that, for those concerts that we'll be doing. And I'm also writing a longer a longer piece for that. So the writing I've been doing lately has been mainly for the, for the municipal band. And I've enjoyed doing that. And I'm looking forward to them performing those pieces. Absolutely. I'd, I'd love to get out and see it. Yeah, well, they, you know, we do a summer concert series and the band is actually hosting a having a, a composition contest. So they're asking composers, I just saw the ad in the Instrumentalist magazine the other day. They're inviting composers to write a one minute fanfare and they'll take the top 10 and those composers will each receive $250 for their for their fanfare if theirs is one of the 10 that is chosen. And then one of those fanfares will be performed at the opening of each of the 10 concerts the band will play that year. Oh, that is very cool. I'll be sure to pass that around to some other budding composers that I know. That's a terrific opportunity to get your music out there and get it heard. Absolutely. All right. Well, I have three questions I ask everyone who comes on the show. The first one is, do you have a mentor shout out? I I, I think as far as teaching is concerned, the guy that hired me in Albemarle County, James Simmons, uh, he was president of VMEA. Uh, a while back and and was the director of the Charlottesville Municipal Band. And he's the one that met me at JMU that year and and offered me a job that same day. It's funny because I was a student at JMU doing my master's work at that point. And the day I met him, I was wearing an old blue T-shirt. I had just gone to class and I was wearing an old blue T-shirt with a rat on the front and a pair of blue jeans and interviewed with him all the other interviews I had done with a coat with a suit on or a coat and tie and and didn't get the job and met with him in a in a t-shirt with a rat on it and a pair of blue jeans and he interviewed me that day and and offered me the job and through the years he would be in my classroom very very often as I was a young teacher and giving me pointers and and just was a was a great mentor so Jim Simmons was a big help as far as composition, a, a real important mentor for me was John Edmondson. Years and years ago, I, when John was running a company called Queenwood Publications, I sent him pieces to consider for publication. He never took one of them, never took a single one for Queenwood. But every time I'd send him a piece of music, he would go over it with a red pen and he would probably spend hours just editing and say, do this, get rid of that. Are you sure you want that to be that way? He took a lot of time that he didn't have to take. I mean, he could have just said, we're not interested in the piece. But he always took the time to go through and make comments and and suggest edits. Uh, And I really appreciated that because all of those pieces of music that I sent him that he rejected for his company, there was enough comments that he made that helped me that all of those pieces of music were eventually picked up by another publisher. So I have to thank him for that. I mean, that's incredible that he would take the time to do that. I mean, I think to me that says that that's someone who cares more about education than just making dollars. Absolutely. He was, he was an edu- He was another person that was, I think an educator first and a composer second. And he spent a lot of time giving me a lot of valuable pointers. All right. Question number two. Do you have a favorite? I usually say beginning band piece, but that that could be any middle school level piece. That's a tough one because I've done, you know, literally 
hundreds and hundreds of pieces and it's really difficult to pick out to pick out a favorite wow boy i don't know i'd have to look through old programs you know old old programs that i have to come up with a favorite i have a lot of really really wonderful music to work with through the years but none of them jumps out at me at the moment i, I i'd have to get back to you on that one no, that's totally okay or, well, we can roll that into question number three. So question number three is name a band director who's crushing it right now. But since you're a composer, you could also name a composer who you feel like consistently does really amazing work. Wow. Yeah, I am a, a really big fan of, of, of Robert Sheldon. I, I don't think I've ever heard a piece by Robert Sheldon that I, that I didn't like. And at the middle school level, I don't think... He ever published a piece for the middle school band that I didn't buy. He's he also is another person that years ago he became the instrumental editor at Alfred. And so as I started writing and sending pieces to Alfred, he and there was another person that would, if he accepted a piece, he'd say, All right, we need to make these changes. We need we, you might want to consider doing this and that. You don't have to. We'll take the piece as it is. But you might want to consider this and that. And every suggestion that he made made the piece better. So, yeah, Bob Sheldon was a big influence. John Edmondson was a big influence on me, as not only as a band director, because I did a lot of his music, but as a composer, too. Jim Swearingen was, was a, I did a lot of his music back in the 90s and early 2000s. And Michael Sweeney. I, 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 I liked a lot of Michael Sweeney's music. One of my favorite arrangements is he did an arrangement for middle school band at about grade three level of Holst, uh, First Suite in E-flat a few years ago that is just so masterfully done that, that you almost think you're listening to the original First Suite in E-flat, but it's two grade levels easier. But the, the beauty of an arrangement like that is it's so well done that you don't really realize that it's two grade levels easier when you're listening to the piece. It's that well arranged. Mm. So yeah, Michael Sweeney is, is at the top of my list as well. Awesome. Well, that's all the questions I have. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for in, inviting me. It's been a pleasure. It's always good to see you. And I enjoyed the, the questions were very, very thoughtful, very well thought out. And I enjoyed this time with you. Thanks for joining us on The Flying Baton. Remember, may your tone be dark and your humor light.